0: Hey, I'm Jake Eames from Latour, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 27 of the Functional Tennis Podcast, and also our first episode of 2020. I'm your host, Fabio Mollet. Today, we're speaking to Jake Eames. Jake is a former pro. He was on Caroline Wozniacki's team when she won the 2018 Aussie Open, her first Grand Slam, as a hitting partner. He's recently hit with Ash Barty. He's down to hit with Caroline again this year at the Aussie Open. Jake is also founder of Latour, a cool, fun tennis brand that makes awesome tennis apparel. It's an interesting episode where Jake talks about all those areas. Before we get started, big shout out to Head, our podcast sponsors who make the best tennis rackets in the world, in my opinion. And also, if you're new to the podcast, please hit the subscribe button. Even if you've been around a while and you haven't subscribed yet, please hit the subscribe button. It means a lot to us. Okay, so let's hear Jake's story. Hi, Jake. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. No, thanks for
0: having me on. Um, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: I know It's great to have you on board. I'm really excited to talk to you about all things from your tennis career to setting up your own tennis brand, the tour, which is so hard and amazing. And also to hear about you hitting with pros such as Ash Barty and Caroline Wozniaki. So really excited to hear about all that. But first of all, tell us a bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and start playing tennis?
0: I grew up in Canberra, which is actually the capital of Australia. Most people kind of miss <laughs> that one. They always think uh, it's Sydney. Yeah, I, I grew up there, um, started a small club, in in Canberra called Kayleen Tennis Club. Um, My grandmother played and, you know, my family always loved playing tennis as well. So we kind of got thrown into it. Used to get dragged around to a few tennis events and and then ended up obviously falling in love with the sport and, and, and kept playing you know, ever since really.
1: Did you like it initially when you started playing or were you just felt you were forced to play it and then you eventually got to love it or was it love at first sight?
0: No, I definitely love at first sight. I always played, you know, in Australia we say soccer instead of football. So I played a lot of soccer as well until I was probably 11 or 12. You know, I was definitely never thrown into anything or forced into anything. And I um, I just, yeah, just love tennis straight away. I think I really enjoyed the individual side of the game where, you know, winning and losing was solely rested on myself, so I really enjoyed that part of taking responsibility of winning losing. Fairly competitive. Yeah, definitely love at first sight. As you know, tennis takes you a lot of places around the world and it kind of just kept getting a little bit better and better as I was getting older and playing some bigger events and travelling further distances. So it was something that, um, yeah, for sure fell in love with.
1: What player did you look up to when you were a young kid?
0: Um, I loved... Patrick Rafter, I didn't necessarily play anything like him, but just loved his his charisma on court, his attitude, the way he, he kind of handled himself on and on court. You know, he was a real proper Australian tennis player, and then also you know Leighton Stewart. Uh, when I was growing up, he was you know reached number one in the world, and um, yeah, just just kind of loved everything he brought to the game as well. You know, obviously being an Aussie and. Everything accomplished through the, the ATP Tour and then also in, in Davis Cup. So they were the kind of two guys you know really looked up to from from Australian idol. And then yeah, obviously you know Federer who's still still playing now. There's, we're pretty pretty lucky, I think, as a as a kid growing up or kids growing up now that we have so many fantastic uh, idols playing the game. It's pretty exciting times
1: must be a huge advantage also to have these players from your own country, like Rafter, like you at and so many more that, you know, if you're from a smaller country, you can struggle a little bit. You don't have players to look up to, players that you can see locally, play locally and on your Davis Cup team. So that's a huge advantage. And then to have the best in the world is even better. So, yeah, you're very lucky there.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So tell me, so you're a top junior in Australia?
0: I was kind of positioned within the top you know, four or so juniors in Australia for my age group. Like won a nationals, titles, growing up under 14 and represented Australia in the, the World Junior Cup, which we became we third. So yeah, I was, was tracking decently as a junior doing well you know, nationally and internationally as well as a young player. So I was definitely given a lot of good opportunities with coaching and traveling and playing. So I was quite fortunate there as a young player trying to transition into the men's game.
1: And when did you make the decision to transition into the men's game to go pro?
0: Yeah, around 17 or 19, I made the decision to you know, try and go pro. Back then, college tennis really wasn't as strong as it is now or definitely wasn't reflected as such a positive career move from Australia. Everyone was kind of in the mindset where if you didn't go to college, you're kind of giving up on your your chances to become a, you know, tour pro. Yeah. So, you know, I opted against the college route and went on, went onto the circuit. You, you always can look back and try, want to change certain aspects of, you know, certain decisions throughout your career but uh i probably would have liked to go to college and develop a little bit more and get a little bit stronger and you know develop mentally a little bit more as well as physically to handle the circuit a bit better but um you know at the same time i've still had a lot of good times traveling around and, and competing around the world even though i didn't go to college
1: what do you mean by physically handling the tour better
0: it's just a very physically and mentally demanding sport tennis you play all year round you have minimal weeks off And, you know, a lot of the guys doing well in tennis are actually mid-20s. So when you're 17 or 18, you're playing guys who are a lot more experienced and a lot more physically developed. So you're really kind of up against it. You go out there, you know, 17, 18, and obviously you've got a huge bunch of confidence coming off juniors. You're thrown out there, but the mindset sometimes is like, yeah, I want to be top 200 by the end of the year, and Mm. it's not. Like that for most people. There are obviously some extremely talented players who can just push through that and just, you know, their games are just, you know, way too good. You look at a Kuris, for example, who just has a huge game, huge serve, huge confidence, and just, you know, just flies through the futures and challenges. But, you know, for, for 99% of people, it's tough stuff work
1: yeah there's only a who Yannick Sinner who's flew through it this year there's not that many yeah. who can actually move that quick through it you got to do the time before you can no exactly it's like you got to graduate into the top 100 if you're good enough you still got to put in the matches and the years
0: 100% so i think for myself 17 18 you, you think you're ready but yeah there's a lot of work to be done and you know i kind of broke down physically as well and got a number of injuries and, and whatnot, trying to play, you know, full schedules. My game as well wasn't quite, I don't think, maybe big enough with really big enough weapons to, to maybe bust through anyway, but I, I definitely needed more time to develop physically and mentally, I think, uh, when, when you reflect back on that transition period. But uh, nevertheless, it was. I still, still had an unbelievable time and really enjoyed competing on the, on the circuit anyway.
1: What are your best memories from competing?
0: Definitely from when I was younger, when I played for Australia as a kid, and again, go back to some of the idols of Rafter and Hewitt, a big portion of that comes through, through Davis Cup wins and staying up late at night. So it was something, you know, as an Australian kid, you always want to you know, play for your country. So that was probably one of the best experiences. It was held in Prague. We had a pretty strong team, probably strong enough to, to win it. We ended up coming third. But I just remember just, you know, putting on the Australian Strange jersey and just uh yeah, there's not much better feeling than, than that for me, I think, in tennis experiences, yeah, as a player for sure.
1: Are any other guys still playing who was on the team?
0: Well there's Tomic in the team. Who's obviously still on the circuit. Then at the same time, there was Dimitrov. He played for Bulgaria in the same age group. So there was a couple other guys. Our, our number one at the time is um, not playing at the moment. But he was also, I think he was top probably five in the world as a junior, Mark Guerrero. but But um, yeah, there's definitely some few guys around that age group that
1: went through. Yeah. There is no better thing than representing your country. So I only got to recently yeah. at an overage category, played for Ireland, which was amazing. And look forward to many more opportunities in the future. So what ranking did you get to be? before you decided to hang up the boots?
0: I was in and out of injuries. I had an osteitis pubis, which I stopped for two years, and a bit of patellar tendonitis, which was like another year or so. That was through my like early 20s. Like 2013, 2014, I came back with, like zero ranking again. And I was in 600s for singles ATP and 400s for, for doubles ATP. And I finished that year and I had a full year injury free. And I probably could have got a little bit more out of myself, I think, going forward. But I I was getting a little bit older at that stage. I was 24, 25. And yeah, it was something where I reflected on my own game and just thought if I had had enough weapons to do well, if I'd back myself, you know, doing another two, three years of that to to push through and I ended up uh, deciding to go to uni instead. And that's where if it was reverse, if I went to uni first and felt a little bit more comfortable, I had, you know, my degree behind me, it might've kept me out on the tour a little bit more longer, you know, in my, my mid-twenties, yeah.
1: And has that attitude changed in Australia? You say back when you were at that age, you weren't, you know, going to university was considered an end of your finishing your career. Has that attitude changed recently?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think a lot of Australians now are leaning towards that option. I think even just recently, one of our number one, 18 and under Rinky, sure is top 10 in the world in juniors. And um, yeah, he's decided to go to college as well. So there's there's a lot of recruiting here in Australia now. There's a couple of agencies set up that help get Australians into good colleges, like um, Aussie Athletes Agency. So a lot of people understand that it takes a while or that you know, two, three years transition to get through. And it can be used in, if you're in the right school with the right coach, you're getting good volume, good match, matches throughout the year. It's definitely a um, pathway that a lot of players now are, uh, are leading towards.
1: Sure, yeah. No, university can be great. And you've timed the summer to play. Well, sorry, in your winter, there's somewhere you can, you can play tournaments. You can get your ranking going. So it's not that you can't play any pro tournaments. I even see like the guys at Berkeley will be down at Australia for the qualifying week. I'm not sure exactly what they do there, but there's a couple more universities as well that they bring the team down. Then they do a bit of training down there. So it gives them a good feel and it gets them playing with other players who are pros who maybe went to those universities before. And yeah, there's a lot of great opportunity. If you're good, obviously the better you are, the better university you can get and the better exposure you get. But So what did you study in university?
0: I studied uh, property and real estate, which is a degree tailored towards kind of property development. But, yeah, just, just wanted something different as well. Um, I've had it my whole life in tennis and, yeah, just, just wanted something to give me a little bit of balance. I think on the, on the tour, it really you know, consumes your whole life. Every day you're thinking tennis, whether it's, you know, what you're eating, your practice, your matches, your, your recovery. It was just, a, yeah, that little bit of a period of my time where I decided to go back to university, it's just to, you know, maybe just – Put a few more eggs in in my basket, I yeah. guess, and uh, yeah, learn learn some new
1: skills. Great. And then, did you start working in that area, or what happened after you finished?
0: No, like it's something that I wanted to have there. Um, I haven't used my um, education yet. Yeah, my degree yet but it's something I want to have maybe a little bit more later in life. I'm extremely passionate about tennis, so I'm still involved in tennis. I started working straight away in that field and my my partner is actually Uruguayan, so I moved to Uruguay for a year and and it was kind of a little bit of time off there as well. But I did keep in touch in tennis and train a bit with the Uruguay and Davis Cup team. And the captain actually had a, a private tennis club. That I used to coach at as well. And that was a good experience because it was in Spanish. I had to try and teach kids in Spanish. And I had, most, of the time, most of the time, probably had no idea what I was talking about. But um, yeah, it was uh, a really, really, really good year to, I think, break that mindset of being a player. And for me, it was a really good escape because sometimes when you go back home, you get back around your team. I had a really good team around me that obviously wants to see you get the best out of yourself. So there's, there's times where you know you're down, and they lift you up and get you back on court, get you back training and whatnot. But for me, it was definitely a time to to get away and you know make a few decisions out outside tennis. And yeah, again, I, I fell back into tennis because it, it definitely is a, something I've, I've always loved. Um, and and for now, with coaching, it gets to Give back to young players who try to get the most they can out of the sport as well.
1: Are you coaching in Tennis Australia facility there?
0: Um, no, I have my own club in on the outskirts of Melbourne, um, in, in Mulgrave, it's Wellington Tennis Club. But I do go into Melbourne Park, which is the, the national facility there, and I, I train with players who are or well, pro players who are coming in and need hitting partners. So I think you mentioned before players um, like. Sam Stowe's or an Ash party, they come in with their coaches and do a training block and need some players out there to train with them. So I do have my club where I coach juniors in the afternoon and I do head into the National Academies to yeah to help out some of the Aussie, Aussie pros as well in the mornings.
1: Tell us a bit, so I know in 2018 you were Caroline Wozniacki's hitting partner during the Australian Open when she won it. Tell me, what's it like being part of a team that wins a Grand Slam?
0: Yeah, amazing. I mean, it probably for me would be one of the highlights of my you know, experiences in tennis. It was something that, yeah, it's unbelievable that it actually actually happened. She kept going through as her first ever Grand Slam that she'd won. So obviously, it's, it's a, it was a huge moment for her as well um she'd been number 1 in the world and she was really looking to to win a grand slam so to be a part of that journey was amazing it was, it was an experience i'm not sure if you know there's other players out there who have been a part of teams in the same way but it was it turns into a big blur actually the, the two weeks and um there's you know a lot of lot of tension a lot of pressure and yeah it was it was it was fantastic i think as well the final i, I can't even remember that much sitting there, there was so much emotion but it was it was one of the the best female finals of Grand Slams I've seen as well. So there was just it was just one of those freaky weeks that, that pop up and I'm super grateful that I was, I was a part of it. It's
1: amazing, an amazing opportunity. And tell me, so you're practicing with her every day. What's yep. the intensity like during those practice between matches? Is every day the same or days she's not playing, it's more intense? Or what exactly is going on on the practice court?
0: Yeah, look, the sessions were quite similar each day. Definitely in days off. They're a lot lighter, but the structure of the sessions were very similar. I was actually with a good mate of mine, Greg Jones, because Caroline liked more two-on-one drills, so she could really like freely change the direction of the ball whenever she wanted to. So we were actually both in corners, and the structure was very similar. The pressure was was high. Like it was the the focus from from Caroline and you know the rest of her team every day is is, is phenomenal. You see a lot of players were quite relaxed. Um, on the practice court it's it's definitely you know game, game, game on as soon as you set foot on court you feel the you know, expectation to, to to make balls and you know to perform is is quite high. so it was, it was really good to see the way that they kept things similar. It was almost in some ways semi superstitious in the way that they kept everything similar. I th- thought her father though was very smart in terms of picking up little things that happened in maybe matches in the day before and you know sneakishly adding, work into areas she needed to into the next day's session though. So I thought he was really clever in terms of not overstating something that was underperforming the match before, but just throw it in to the next session in a, in a small way. So got some extra work the next day's session. It was quite clever not to get her panicking, but to also get her like to, to you know, recognize, okay, that needs a little bit of work for, for my next match.
1: And did you see, as the rounds progressed, was her intensity or could you see more pressure on her as it got close to the final? Because she was renowned for being number one and not having won a Grand Slam, which added so much pressure to her to win one. Did, could you see the pressure building during practices?
0: Yeah, like, and I think it, it shows through frustration in terms of you know things that would not bother her earlier on in the first week or you know maybe even towards the end of the first week would start to you know, maybe bother her, you know, in the in in the second week, which is completely normal, I guess. Um it'd be little things like little, little small errors that would be normally dismissed, all of a sudden become, you know, a little bit frustrating and you can feel feel the tension definitely building there. But she was really good. And I think again her team understands really well when she needs to get rid of some emotional energy and kind of you know, let let it out a little bit just to get herself feeling feeling comfortable again and ready, ready to play. But you could definitely see, see a little frustration building as the pressure got higher. But, yeah, she dealt with it so well. And by the time the first ball struck in the match, she was uh, yeah, she was fresh, focused, and ready to go.
1: And tell me, did you feel the pressure as well? Obviously, you're there to make balls. That's your job. How much pressure do you feel if you miss a ball? Do you feel like, oh, damn, I shouldn't have missed that? Or what's that like?
0: Yeah, it's definitely something to, that... that kind of weighs on you a little bit and you need to be yourself quite focused for example you know as a male player I typically will hit or males typically hit a little bit heavier off the floor and things like this so you've got to keep the ball flight down and maybe a little bit flatter than normal you don't want another player to feel you're tight and you're nervous to you know give maybe too much impact on a moment for example if you're tired and you're dumping balls then they might pick up on that you're tied and then the moment's I guess a little bit more tense than what it needs to be. Yeah, there definitely is a lot of uh, pressure just to be rock solid out there. You don't need to do anything, I guess, amazing, but you, you really need to be rock solid and you know provide you know the ball that the players after. I guess.
1: Yeah, no, it's one on last week's podcast. We, Jeff Salzenstein, and he was saying how he was in with Sampras, and he goes, Sampras did not make a lot of balls in practice. He was just a really relaxed guy and wasn't the most intense. But he said to uh, the guy who's with Jeff Salzenstein, who organized it, he said, look, I don't want to hit with him again. He misses too much. And he thought yeah. he, so he sort of, it was sort of funny the way this guy misses all the time. And he's given it to me because I miss too much. So, yeah, sometimes yeah. I've hit with some of the pros over here. And I personally, probably not the most consistent guy in the world, but I'd feel pressure to all I'm here is to make balls, nothing else like, and it puts a bit of pressure on me. So I can only understand you in these heightened situations with the world's best athletes puts a lot of pressure on you. And I know it's something you could probably do all day, every day, but the situation then makes it a bit tougher.
0: You feel the crowd starting to build around the courts. You feel not as much maybe communication between you know the team before you know, huge matches, like a semifinal, for example. So you can definitely you have to really adjust and and kind of refocus when it when it gets down to the you know later stages of tournaments. So you can you know, just keep doing your job, I guess.
1: This podcast is brought to you by ASICS Tennis. ASICS is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. That purpose is also in their name. ASICS is an acronym which means Anime Sano Incorporate Sano, a Latin phrase meaning sound mind, sound body. Today, the brand is still dedicated to that founding belief of demonstrating the positive effects sport and movement can have on our mental well-being all over. The world. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever, which includes the new Court FF3 Novak. The shoe designed from the ground up with the help of Novak Djokovic. Get your pair now at com. You were there last year as well. I met you down in Australia. Was her mood or was anything different in 2019 versus 2018?
0: I think the drive and the focus, you know, to win and, and do well was definitely there. I think. For sure, a lot more relaxed, though. I think that that win 2018 was probably a huge weight off her shoulders. She really, really wanted that. And I know, you know after that moment, there's there's other things in life I think she was really looking to pursue in terms of, you know, marriage and probably families and whatnot. So I think, yeah, definitely she really relaxed in twenty nineteen. But um it was really it was the same vibes. We've pretty lucky, like I said before, my my mate Greg was involved in the team as well. And twenty nineteen I had another friend involved. So it was it was a really cool vibe amongst like myself with my mate, obviously, and and and, and her, her team as well, um, and her husband, David Lee. So it was definitely enjoyable again. Um, so I'm really looking forward to being a part of what's most likely, I guess, the last Grand Slam in 2020.
1: Great. So you are. I remember you told me you weren't sure, so you're going to be part of the team. In tw- fantastic. That's great news. So, yeah, really looking forward to hearing more about that when it happens. But tell me, we'll talk about one other practice partner that you play with. It's just a few weeks ago you mentioned you're hitting with Ash Barty. Yeah. What's the difference between Ash and Caroline from a, on a practice court?
0: I think um, with Ash, you got completely different skills to Wozniacki. Wozniacki is super consistent. She's got great, great kind of flat ball control. Um, she manoeuvres the ball really well off, off kind of top-spin, flat ground strokes, whereas, whereas Ash changes the pace a lot. She's got a phenomenal slice, probably one of the best – female slices I've ever seen and she's got a pretty good kick serve as well and she uses she uses her kick serve and a slice to really like pounce around and, and hit forward and great neck game likes to come forward good hands and good drop shots so she's definitely got more variety than Wozniak who's kind of more of a, a counter puncher I think Wozniak is maybe almost never lost to Ash though I think um I'm not sure if they played too recently, but I think it could be two or three zero in the head to head there. But um yeah, completely different game styles, which I think is great for tennis. I think for me the, the best and most exciting thing about tennis is different personalities and, and different game styles going head to head. So it's it's good to be on court and see the the different game styles. One and then two, I think the personality, Ash is really relaxed. She's she's quite I guess playful on court and jokes around a little bit as well so
1: typical Aussie.
0: Yeah. Yeah, typical Aussie I guess. Yeah. So there's a lot a lot a lot of banter during the sessions um she's a great coach as well so and he, he's a really good bloke and 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 keeps keeps things very light hearted on court too so um, she always seems very uh, very happy out there. She's good
1: intensity in and focus is it the same from them?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think in the same way. Ash is super competitive. I think Anything she does, she seems competitive. She was during a couple of sessions was talking about golf and she wants to get down off to scratch. So she's just one of those girls that, that kind of whatever she puts her teeth into, she really wants to do well at. She, she played cricket here for Australia for a while.
1: She quit tennis, didn't she? Too?
0: Yeah, she quit tennis and had a break and went to cricket. And you know, I think she was a bit of a gun there too. So she's just an all round good, good athlete.
1: Yeah. No, it sounds amazing. I'd love to. I'd love to talk to her someday about it. How she, she's so good at everything and quitting tennis and come back to tennis it sounds amazing. But one thing, just going back to Caroline, I remember you telling me before something about her not liking her match gear. She preferred to play in her training gear. Was is that what it was?
0: I think it was more the that that year. That was two thousand nineteen. It was the new Adidas came, stuff came out with. Um, it was actually recycled fabric that felt a little bit stiffer for that year, and she was kind of preferring some of the lighter, lighter fabrics that she was training in. Yeah, so I guess with with a lot of brands, everyone's trying new fabrics these days and new cuts and new styles. So it's it's probably hard to to get it right every time. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that's going to make a nice segue into your tennis brand, Latour. Yep. which is a huge achievement. It's not easy launching any sort of brand. And especially in tennis, it's a lot harder because it's just the main guys. It's the Nike, Adidas, those guys. And it's really hard to break in there. It takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. And you're slowly doing that with Latour. Tell me, when did Latour come about, Jake?
0: Around 2014, there was a bunch of guys, or a bunch of Australian guys traveling on the circuit. And um, they would often or would often like refer to the circuit as Latour. It'd be quite funny because it'd be both reflecting, you know, positive and negative events on the tour. For example, going to, a, you know, a crap hotel at a average future and, you know, it'd be like, oh, you know, life on the tour. And the same way, turning up to, you know, a great event and, you know, people people coming down to watch and you'd be like, yeah, the tour. And it was quite funny. In Australia, we, we shorten every word. You know, sometimes... Latour or even our brand now is referred to as Le. Okay. <laughs> it's L-E. So wow. so so it was already a bit of a, you know, a a name thrown around there for two or three years amongst Australian players. And as soon as I retired I moved to Uruguay and it's I met a designer there. He worked for Adidas for eight years and you know I told him, you know, about my idea with a with clothing brand within tennis. When I was younger I was training one of the high performance academies and had a just a plain t shirt that had Billabong on it, which is a which is a surf brand. And I remember being told I have to take that shirt off mm. to come on and train because it's you know, Billabong's not a tennis brand, you know, it's a surfing brand. And it kind of always stuck with me about, you know, the power of a brand and you know just, just a word. On how brand can build its identity, its purpose, and you know, be acceptable or not acceptable in certain environments. So, I just felt like tennis definitely could maybe have you know a little bit more fresh vibe to it. And yeah, in Uruguay in two thousand and sixteen, met the designer. We drew a lot of inspiration from the the eighties and Andre Agassi. um, Some of the pieces he was working or wearing then with Nike um, to kind of set a bit more of a you know, flamboyant
1: um,
0: mm, yeah. direction again. And, you know, it started off as just, just something fun. And it still is really fun now. And it's just kind of taken off from there, really, yeah.
1: That's it's really exciting. This will be – you just launched your third collection.
0: Yeah, it's our third collection, yeah. So, uh, as you said before, when you, when you enter into, you know, business like clothing, especially in tennis, and you, you write down – you know your competition or threats to the business, and you, you you put down brands like Nike and Adidas. It just seems crazy, really, to to get involved. And it's been slow. You know, it's been really good. We've got some great players involved with the brand. We've got some you know great people in Australia that kind of follow it. But we, you know, we'd like to keep bringing out things quicker and and better. And we've made a lot of improvements in the in the most recent collection. But it, you know, definitely is a you know a continual work in progress. Our brand and our style is basically to really serve as a reminder to enjoy the tennis journey. And I think when you, hopefully when people look at the clothes, they really think, you know, that looks fun. There's a lot of players and juniors on the circuit that can you know, get caught up in the pressure of tennis and competition and then on the, on the professional circuit trying to make money to, to get by. And you can kind of forget that, you know, you started tennis because you loved it and it's fun. So it's, it's something that, uh, you know, we just wanted to, to put out there. We had a great time. You know designing our first three collections, and you know we we hope we can um, continue and, and keep building into the future. Yeah,
1: I see you have some of the top juniors in Australia wearing them at the junior championships around there, and a lot of them actually were wearing your clothes, which yeah, is do. amazing. Do you ship much internationally?
0: Um, we do ship a bit internationally, definitely through through Spain, Brazil, France, a little bit. Through Great Britain as well. To start off, we really focused heavily on you know, the market in, in Australia. Uh, you'd know for yourself when you're shipping things around internationally, it can be a little bit tricky. And we're just really trying to just grow organically as well. So we're not really trying to force things you know, bigger than what we are. The reality is we're you know, a bunch of uh, ex-tennis players that I've got together and you know doing something that we love and that we think things fun. Um, and you know a lot of the players as well we're really lucky that they're a you know, tight-knit group and they really embrace the you know, tour lifestyle and, and, and its values. So we've really just kept it quite local at the moment. And, yeah, if it grows bigger and organic, that's cool. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But at, at the moment, um, yeah, we're, we've, we've focused heavily on shore,
1: I think if you keep releasing products and doing what you're doing I think you will grow I do love the community that you've built around the business they say now it's really important that you have to build the community around your business and you've definitely done that well I see a lot of your posts on Instagram that you repost a lot of stuff that gets you guys get mentioned all your diggers out there which is such a great name I did see Yanko mentioned diggers I'm like saying he's using your word there Jake but uh, the whole diggers is amazing community and it's great to have these your young kids be it ten year olds to to pro players who are out there playing and they're digging away and they're part of the Latour community. I think it's a really tough job to do, and you've you've doing a great job growing it. so
0: yeah, no. yeah, thanks for that.
1: Congrats on your diggers worldwide. I'm a digger the odd time here in Ireland. There's not many diggers in Ireland now, but definitely any time any time I wear, I have your season one and two shirts, which you kindly sent me which are amazing. They always get some good reaction and people love them. So, yeah, keep doing the great work.
0: No, thanks for that. You'll have to get your hands on some uh, Dig 3. We uh, The the shorts, the uh, recycled plastic bottles, yeah.
1: Yeah, tell me. I was just going to say, a friend of mine actually has the Rashfest. He's a Rashfest yeah. company called Rasher. It's like yourself. It's a small company, but he said he wants to make Rashfest fun because they're normally these little plain, they're plain-coloured, and he went and he's done some crazy designs. Basically, what you've done for tennis, he's done for Rashfest. And he's got he went down the whole recycled. All the tops are made from recycled plastics, caught from the ocean. Which th- the guys are doing great. They're in loads of stores, and it's just a fun business. I don't know how big the market is really, but they're doing good. He's happy. But yeah, tell me how did the whole recycle thing come about for you? As a small business, you
0: know, you're quite constrained, I guess, in in what you can deliver. But one of our goals you know, was to try and deliver high quality and environmentally sustainable products. And we started with these shorts, uh, Dig three shorts with the which are recycled from plastic bottles. So it's a hundred percent recycled reprieve fiber. And and the cool thing about them is they're lightweight and comfortable but they're also waterproof. So there's a lot of it, a lot of our guys at the moment who are playing and going for a swim or jumping in the the pool to recover or the beach so it's been a you know a bit of a twofold thing there we've we wanted to deliver you know a sustainable product and see how it went but it's actually turned out to be you know a, a really fun product as well for, for people playing tennis or even people not playing tennis who you know want a good pair of uh board shorts
1: yeah uh, will caroline approve
0: i hope so yeah hope so <laughs>
1: You have to get it to try them on and see if they fit, and if they, if she approves of if they're better than the Adidas ones.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's where we're at the moment. We really, really want to release a, a women's collection, so that's next on our agenda. We get quite a few messages through from you know female tennis players, you know, asking us when when we're going to release a women's collection. Um, it's a lot more intricate than you know, a male's outfit, and yeah, you know, that's that's something we really want to hopefully get out sometime this year. But yeah, it, it takes time, especially if you want to put something out there you know, in the market that you, you you really want to give value to customers, so they you know get the product and they really like it straight away. We, we've we've kept adjusting and made changes into this this third collection and learn a lot along the way. Yeah, it's something that when we we put out a women's collection, we want to try and get it you know right from the start and and something where you know, everyone loves.
1: I totally agree with you. I know you can go to all these manufacturers around the world, be it China or Portugal, and they give you their their size and charts. You don't go with one, they give you one, you go with it, and they're never perfect. They always need changes. And changes take time and cost money. So I can totally understand why it takes time, first of all, to get the fit as you want it. And secondly for the female, just to get that right, I can only like I can only imagine how tough it is to get the right sort of shirt or pants or a skirt. Yeah. There's so many different options and you obviously want to go with the one which you think will have maximum appeal, which will be worn. So yeah, I know it can be tough. But I look forward to I look forward to seeing what you come out with. And last question, is Tennys Sandrin still wearing Latour?
0: Yes, he is. So he's um he's wearing the Dig Three kit for the Aussie summer. Actually spoke I spoke to him last week. So he's gonna be be rocking the the white singlet with the green and white shorts and, and the white socks, so we're really looking forward to that. He's actually he's actually pretty jacked at the moment. He's got <laughs> a huge huge arms, so I think he's ready to ready to really flaunt them in the in the singlet.
1: Oh, great! I, fair play to you for getting such a top tennis player in your merchandise because it can be it can be impossible because you know how much money they all want to be paid and various other things. So, congrats on having. Uh, a main draw player wearing your apparel
0: yeah we also have another australian chris o'connell who's been been with us now for since we started and he was was actually a player i traveled around with back in you know 2013 2014 he's had a cracker of a year and uh, he's sitting at 119 in the world and he's going to take a wild card into the to the main draw most likely so we're super pumped for him as well
1: Great. Well, I'll keep my eye on Chris. And yeah, Jake, I really appreciate your time. Tell us your story. And yeah, I'll keep following the tour and hopefully I get some news on your hits with Caroline in January. I won't be down there, unfortunately. But other than that, thank you very much. No
0: problems. Thanks for having me on the podcast.
1: Hope you enjoyed that talk with Jake. Jake is definitely very busy with coaching, being a hitting partner and working on Latour shipping shirts all over Australia and the world. You can check out his tennis apparel if you want to check them out. If you go to Instagram.com slash Latour Tennis, you can see their latest designs there. They're cool shorts and cool tops. It's really awesome gear. Finally, if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review in your favorite podcast app. I'll be back next week. And until then, I hope you have a really positive start to 2020. Bye.